Hello coders, welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful developers to learn their advice on learning to code and getting your first junior developer job. My guest today is Eric Hanchert, who is a front-end engineer at Amazon Web Services, author of Vue.js in Action, and the Eric behind the Programming with Eric YouTube channel. Now, if you are a Scrimba user, you might recognize one of our teachers, Dylan Israel. Well, Dylan and my guest today, Eric, have a podcast together called the Self Taught or Not podcast. In one of those episodes, Dylan interviews Eric about his journey in which he toiled to become a developer. Rather than ask Eric to repeat his story, you can check out that episode of the Self Taught or Not podcast if you wish. Instead, here, I wanted to ask Eric for his streamlined and specific advice on how he would approach getting a developer job today. We spoke about meetups and how if you're helpful, opportunities will come your way. We spoke about how to slide into a recruiter's DMs, respectfully, to stand out. And we also spoke a little bit about Vue.js versus React and which you should learn. Spoiler alert, it doesn't matter. Just pick one and get good at it. And with that said, let's get into it. Hey, welcome to the Scrimba podcast. Eric, it's so great to have you. Hey, how's it going? I listened to your whole story on the Self Taught or Not podcast, which is a podcast that you co-host with Dylan Israel. And I think your resilience stood out to me as being super inspiring. You faced quite a lot of rejection and honestly, some of it was out of your control, but you still stayed focused and now you're doing really well, obviously. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are planning or in the process of applying to their first junior developer positions some rejection is inevitable. How would you suggest someone listening think about rejection and mental toughness as you demonstrated in your journey? That podcast you listened to was kind of just a lot about my journey of going all the way from high school, going to college, dropping out of college, going back to college, getting into tech, getting rejected a lot. And so I think the going to the, the part about rejection it's just human nature. It's, it's going to happen in your life. I guess it's just common. It's maybe a better way to put it. It's every time you get a rejection, it's a learning experience. It's a time to reflect back on what you know and what you don't know and what you can do to get to that next step. I've definitely been rejected. I think one of my first jobs, my first tech job, I was so excited. I got an interview for a large tech company. It was an all-day interview, and I remember being so nervous and going to their offices, which was a, a, a literally like a 45-minute drive from my house, and just going through one whiteboarding interview after another. And then halfway through the day, they took me to lunch. So they drove me to Subway which I don't know if that should have been a reflection of like, maybe this, I don't know, maybe this isn't the best place. They got me you know, a cheap lunch, but I'm sitting there. Everybody's talking around me. Nobody's talking to me like I wasn't even there. So I literally knew at that point, like maybe this interview isn't going very well. And then the afternoon interviews were okay. I don't think I nailed them. And I think the last interview of the day, the interview was like with HR and they were asking me questions about what I worked on in school. And I told them, oh, I worked on this project. Like, oh, really? You're the person that worked? I didn't think you worked on that project. Like, yeah, yeah, I worked on this project. But they were a little dismissive of me. And so I went home 
feeling rejected. Like, oh my gosh, like this was my dream job out of school. I thought this could have been the job that propelled me in. And I felt like I didn't do very well, but I had like a hope, like maybe a glimmer of hope. And I had emailed them and they just kind of blew me off. They never emailed for like two weeks. They didn't email me back. And I was waiting to hear back from them because I was waiting to see if I got the job before I started applying for other places. And finally, like probably like three weeks later, they finally said I didn't get it and I was crushed. And I kind of took that as my first rejection, first time trying to get a job. And just kind of fuel of like, okay, why didn't I do well? I wrote down a notebook, all the things, all the different parts of the interviews, the questions I was asked, so I understood how to answer them correctly in the future. And then I kind of took this approach at the time of just trying to get better at interviewing. And at that time, I wasn't, I didn't do any research online. I didn't do any mock interviews. I didn't have any of that support network. My idea was like, let's go out there, interview places, get better interviewing, get better at rejection because it doesn't mean, it doesn't reflect anything on you personally. You should never take it personally. It's just something that happens and you just, it's a skill that you need to get better at. Can I just say, those guys sound really rude. <laughs> yeah. That's one nice thing too. You can always think, well, maybe I dodged a bullet if you didn't get the job. So That's a very good point. But what you're saying is that like rejection isn't the be all and end all. If you're actually thinking about it productively, you can channel your learnings so you can make the next positive step. And, that, and that's exactly what you did. Yep, exactly. This was happening a while ago, right? Things have changed a little bit since then. In particular, there was some like factors in the economy and stuff that made it a little bit harder to get a job. Um, you were going through a very specific stage in your life. I wonder if today, hypothetically, you were looking for a junior developer role, what kind of strategy would you employ so that you approach it productively? Yeah, that, that's a good question. To put this in context for people who are listening, I graduated college in like 2007 and I looked for my first role in about 2007, 2008. Uh, I had a computer science degree and I had a four-year college degree. So it was a little bit different back then. We didn't have free code camp was not out. YouTube was out, but it was nothing like what it is now. Scrimbo didn't exist back then. So couldn't get amazing content from Scrimba. To answer your question, like if I was a junior dev, I would first just take advantage of those amazing resources, Scrimba, uh, all these other free resources out there to kind of get myself up to the point where I can at least talk intelligently about these technologies. I can create my own websites. There's free hosting. You can use Vercel. You can use, I'm a big fan of AWS. There's um, Amplify is a product I work on. So you can use Amplify to host your website for 100% for free and use different technologies. So creating your portfolio would be important. But I also say, and this is probably something not everyone agrees with, maybe it's a little more controversial, but I think if you have the chance between working on a portfolio and doing like networking, try to network first because knowing people is going to get you a foot in that door. So if you're a junior dev nowadays, unfortunately, there's a lot of competition and you need to try to stand out to be able to even land an interview. And I've, I've seen two approaches the spray and pray method where junior devs just send out hundreds, if not thousands of resumes and apply for hundreds of jobs. And you have, you put a quote on yourself, like I'm going to apply for 20 jobs today. So you go to 20 different jobs and you just do that every single day. And if you're really ambitious, you do it from all over whatever country you're in. You're like, I'll relocate. I'll do anything. But I really like the idea of, and there's many ways of doing this, but I really like the idea of trying to 
come down with like maybe 10, 15 jobs that you really want to go for, and then see if there's any way that you can network with the people at those jobs that could be going to meetups and meeting with people. Um, fortunately, you know, with COVID and everything that was crazy happening, all those went online, but I think they're all starting to come back in the last three or four months. And some of them are still doing it virtually. Some are hybrid, some are do virtual and in person. I would recommend if you can to go in person and just try to meet with people. Uh, I was a part of a JavaScript meetup here and where I live in Reno. And one really cool thing they did is at the beginning of every single meeting, they said, raise your hand if your company is hiring. And then, you know, five people would raise their hands. And you could then, after the meeting was over, go and talk to those people like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I heard I saw your hand up. Who are you looking for? And sometimes companies would actually sponsor our JavaScript meetups. And that was another way we can like get a hold of the people of those companies. So look for opportunities like that. And one more thing, uh, another quick tip. I don't think it, anything's wrong with trying to look up a company, especially if it's in your local area that you're interested in, and connecting with those people on LinkedIn. Don't try to be deceiving them. Just be very blunt. Like, hey, I saw your company's hiring. Uh, I'm Eric. I'm a brand new junior developer. I went to XYZ Bootcamp. Here's my portfolio that I've done from all these different projects. Here's whatever, you know, something that makes me stand out. Can we be friends? Can I talk to you? And then try to network that way. As long as you're not being deceiving or you don't... I've seen people like connect on LinkedIn with somebody and then connect with my manager. I don't really like that, but you can try to be creative on it. It's mad. I've not been to an in-person meetup in so long. I remember a meetup I used to go to and the first place I ever gave a talk was the London Node user group. And they do the same thing at the beginning of every session. They say, raise your hand if you're looking for work, raise your hand if you're looking to hire. But yeah, there was this one guy who like every week, week after week, he would raise his hand, raise his hand. And his resilience was kind of cool. And one day he didn't raise his hand and someone asked him like, hey, what gives? And he's like, yeah, I got a job from this guy. Like it paid off and he got the job. That's awesome. There's so many cool success stories from that. That's a good point, like having that resilience and going and trying over and over again. Because you may find out if you just go to a meetup once, may not happen. Nothing might happen. But if you go to like multiple meetups and probably any large city has, you know, lots and lots of meetups, um, especially in the tech side, you might have a JavaScript, might have a PHP, might have React. So maybe try a few. And there's like a um, playbook almost. Like it's not so ambiguous how you are successful at a local meetup. Endeavor to give a talk that puts you front and center and you get a chance to demonstrate your knowledge. And, and also people will come up to you afterwards and ask you questions typically. That's really great. Meetups struggle for help when it comes to even recording the videos or organizing or, you know, just cleaning up afterwards and stuff like that. Just by being helpful, you'll get some opportunities. But the other thing you mentioned, Eric, which I really liked was utilizing LinkedIn to network with someone. Yeah, I don't like what that person you described did going above one level, but if you can figure out who the hiring manager is or the person involved in the interview process is and, and make a personal connection and, and maybe show the enthusiasm that you have that won't necessarily come across in a cover letter, how would someone go about doing that, do you think? I've done it and I've had other people do it to me. And the way they did it is they just researched the company online that they were interested in. A lot of times when you go on LinkedIn, you can look up company names and you can see lists of employees from there. Or if the company's any way public, like they have a blog or they have uh, a lot of those developers might be on Twitter, you might be able to connect with them through there. You don't have to necessarily do LinkedIn, but there might be a few other ways to connect with them. One thing I I've seen work and I've heard other people do too is is you could try to create a 
kind of very focused application that demonstrates what that company is all about. So if you were trying to get a job at a company that did testing, like testing software, maybe use their testing software, create a blog post about it, put it out there, tag them on Twitter or whatever social media platform it is, try to get on their radar, follow them back, and then see who responds. You might be able to get a hold of a hiring manager, might be able to get a hold of some people that work there. So that's another way you have to do. I don't want to call it stalking, but you have to kind of stalking in a good way to figure out like this company that you want to work for, who's working there and how you can get on their radar. Another approach I've heard is there's this idea that you can kind of work in public. I think that's this term has been kind of been thrown around in the last year or two. And, and a couple of people have kind of been talking about this. Swix, I, if, if you look his name up, he's a, a guy that's been talking a lot about this. Funnily enough, Eric, Swix was on the podcast two episodes ago. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I did not know that. <laughs> so he has this idea of like one of his many ideas. He has this idea of creating content online and also being very specific about who you want to target on that content. So instead of just trying to like build an audience, which you could use later on, and that's not a bad strategy. That's something I've done. I've built, you can also call it like building a personal brand where people like know, like, and trust you and that it helps you, you know, get opportunities. And I've had many opportunities because I've written blog posts. I've done YouTube videos and things like that. But you could also like create content specifically for a specific company or a specific person at that company that might find interesting. So if, if there's a very prolific, I don't know, I, w- I don't want to call them internet famous, but you know, a lot of companies have pretty internet famous people or developer advocates that are always out there who are kind of talking about their company. If you can get on their radar, like create, if you see them talking about, I'll say like AWS and they're talking about one of their suite of products and then you create an app, you create a blog post, you create a video specifically on that that piece of product and you make it even better than that they did and then you then you share it online, you tag them in it. That will definitely get you on your radar and that might open up their DMs and you can then DM them, ask them contact them on Twitter. But if you can kind of get the respect of some of these people at the companies, it might get you an in that you could then apply for them. Funnily enough, that's part of how I got my first developer job. I was working for a developer tool company that creates a real-time publish and subscribe API, which is suitable for building chat applications. So I built like a group and one-on-one chat application using their API and you know, they followed me and we got talking and stuff like that. So I guess I have my own hypothesis about why it's so effective. But what do you think? Like, why why do you think this works so well? Like, how does it make the people in the company feel? It kind of helps everybody, I think. So if you create a huge blog article, I'm talking about blogs because I think people get a little intimidated by doing YouTube right away, especially if you're a junior dev, you'd be like, oh my God, now I have to learn a product and get in front of a camera and be able to talk coherently. That's really scary. But maybe you can do a really in-depth blog and and by the way, if you're, there's lots of tools out there. If you're not a great writer, you can, you can use different tools to like help you write, but maybe you can create a great blog tutorial on something from that company. And then it helps you. If you share that out there, it's going to help other people that use their product to get to know that better. It shows that you have initiative to the people that you're trying to get in touch with or trying to get on their radar. It tells them at the minimum that you know how to write and, and that you can explain technical topics and that you understand their product. And you probably could understand it better than someone who just randomly put their CV in and cover letter a day before because you've actually used their product and, and you're willing to go that extra mile. It's not going to always work too. And you shouldn't always expect something in return. So you should always be like, hey, I'm going to put this out in the world. 
and I'm going to try to target this this company or these people, and maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't. The worst thing you want to do is be like expect something in return. But if you kind of go with their ad, kind of with a great with a better attitude, then it, it could work. If you're enjoying this episode of the Scrimba podcast, please do us at Scrimba a favor and recommend this episode with your friends. Word of mouth is the single best way to support a podcast that you like, so thanks in advance. Next Tuesday on the Scrimba podcast, Cassidy Williams, aka Cassidy, joins me to talk about her tips on creating a convincing resume and compelling cover letter, as well as advice about where to find jobs and what attitude to bring to the job search. Learning different things and and building different projects and growing. Um, You could use like the hashtag 100 days of code on Twitter. As you put out all of this stuff, you might be able to write blog posts on Dev.2. Heck, you might be able to make a screencast on Scrimba. As you do all of these things, more and more people will start to notice the skills that you have. And when you are applying for a job, you have a track record. And so when when someone starts to Google you or, or as, as they're looking at your resume, you can say, look at this series of tweets, look at this series of blog posts, look at these projects that I've built, look at these screencasts that I've made, that sort of thing. And because you have a paper trail of all the things that you've done, it shows that you haven't just been farting around, took an online course, and now you're trying to get a job. You've been learning over time and people know about it and there's evidence of it all over the internet. That's next Tuesday on the weekly Scrimmer podcast. So make sure you subscribe to see it in your feed and support the show. If you are genuinely enthusiastic about the projects and the content, that probably means you're going to be genuinely enthusiastic about the company. And so even if they don't happen to open the door, at least you've managed to explore something interesting. And yeah, it could be practice for the for the next time you do it. But most people want to work with other people that care, at least on the product side, and want to make it better and want to collaborate to improve the product. And if you've gone to that effort, then it means you probably care. It means you'll probably be a good person to work with. Worth, worth a shot, right? Worth an interview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you may find working on that product is awful or you don't <laughs> like it. And maybe that could be either like if it, if you don't like work on it, then then you'll be like, okay, maybe I don't want to do it. But maybe they'll give you initiative to be like, I want to make this product better. So if I could work on this team, look, I already have ideas that I know we can make this better by doing X, Y, and Z, and you can really impress them. Because really, when you go for an interview, it is a two-way street. Essentially, they're interviewing you, but you're sort of interviewing them too. But I still always think that they have the advantage at the end of the day, unfortunately. Even though you're technically interviewing them, they still have a more of a say. I mean, they're they're the ones that are going to be paying you. So you want to impress your employer. You want to impress the people that you're trying to work for. You don't want to come in with an attitude that you're too good or that that they need to like cater to you and all your whims. Unless you're like some amazing rock star developer that you have 20 companies that have offers in for you and you would laugh. But there are definitely developers out there that every company will go for. But for the most part, you're going to be one of many and you need to really impress them. And I think it's just a good practice to to work for a company that you respect, that they respect you, and that you're genuinely interested in, then maybe you're just, you know, application 1,432 that you sent out 
this last month. I think this is great advice and I think it could apply to to any developer from from junior to senior to staff and so on. I, I wonder if as a junior developer, by showing how teachable you are and how enthusiastic you are, maybe that's like another way you can stand out compared to other junior devs. Yeah, I think you can sum those two up, enthusiasm, teachability, and, and like the potential the person has. So being able to understand concepts and be able to kind of soak it in quickly and understand it's, I think all employers know when they hire a junior developer that there's going to be a ramp up time, like even mid-level or senior level, there's going to be a ramp up time. Usually it's shorter. So you really want to hire someone. And I've done some hiring at the companies I've worked for. You really want to hire someone that can kind of understand the concepts quickly, can learn on their own, that don't need handholding. We expect junior developers to ask questions. I think that's a really good sign. But you also don't want a junior developer to take the time of the senior developers time like all day, every day. So you have to take initiative. You have to be able to learn on your own, unfortunately. But you do have kind of the backup of the of the senior developers. So to see someone that has that potential that can learn is great. Having like completed courses from Scrimba or Free Code Camp or some of these other places is great to see because then you know they've learned these things themselves, they've taught themselves these things. We talked a little bit about my podcast I do with Dylan Israel. Like you can look at all the breadth of work he's done when he got his first junior developer job. And if I was hiring a person, I would see like, wow, he's he's learned all these concepts by himself. He's created these, not just learned it, but he's actually created products. He's taught other people. I always think one of the best ways of learning something is to teach other people. So if you can learn a concept well enough to teach it, that's a good sign to me that you're you're one of these people that has have a lot of potential and that has enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is at least hard to gauge. People can fake enthusiasm during interviews. Sometimes people just have bad days, and so they may not be as enthusiastic as other people. I've actually lost a job once because I was told I didn't have enough enthusiasm during the interview. That, that specifically was one of the feedbacks I got. So maybe just try to get a good night's sleep the night before. Try to clear out your head, uh, whatever you need to do. So when you come into the interview, you're focused and that you can be enthusiastic. And you might have to play it up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, especially like you're maybe you're applying for an insurance company and it's really boring tech. But yeah, I, that, that's probably not a bad idea. I'm so like intrigued that you mentioned teaching is a great way to learn because this is something that I've believed since I was first learning to code. More or less, every guest I have on the podcast in one form or another says something to that effect. Like if you can't explain it simply and clearly, you probably don't understand it that well. As you solidify it, you will not only improve your understanding, but now you're creating a blog where people can discover you. You can use this to get in the door. But then the other thing I can do in my position at Scrimba is I see hundreds of developers learning and, and remarkably few focus on these things. I'm now starting to think it's worth looking into why you have a YouTube channel where you enable self-taught developers. I think there's almost like a sub-community there, like the comments are always active and there are people looking forward to your new videos, sharing their challenges and things like that. Is this just an experience unique to me in the Scrimba community or is it a broader thing among junior developers? What what do you think the barrier is there and, and why do people struggle to like cross that barrier? Maybe it's just scary. It's just scary to put yourself out there. It's scary to have other people critique what you're doing. It also doesn't have always a direct feedback of what you're doing. A lot of times when you start blogging or start putting yourself out there, you're kind of just talking into the void for a little while until you get some momentum or you get enough tweets or retweets or the YouTube algorithm picks you up, for example. So it doesn't have a, a great feedback loop right away. 
So that's why I'm thinking like sharing it with people that you're really interested in and trying to get feedback from them and then realizing you're doing a lot of this for yourself at first so you can learn yourself by teaching others. That might be a good thought process at the beginning. Just realize that you're at one level and believe it or not, there's some people below you in terms of knowledge of whatever particular topic that you're working on. So even if you are a junior developer and you've only been studying for a couple of months, there's probably tons of things that you've noticed that you could teach to others. So, you know, take the time to put that together in a blog post and put it out there. And then you can also just use it as a reference for yourself later on. I've done that Plenty of times I've looked back at my older YouTube videos or blog posts and used that as like, oh, that's how I did that. Now I can grab it and use it in this project. Maybe it's more psychological. What do you think separates successful self-taught developers from self-taught developers that struggle typically? That's a good question. I'm guessing it's a lot of persistence. It's a lot of just going out there every day. I like this concept of trying to get a little better every day doesn't always happen, but if you can like become a little bit better more than the previous day, it's better. Like maybe this isn't the great best example, but I moved recently to an area that has a bunch of foothills behind me and there's a bunch of hiking paths. And the first day I went out, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I downloaded an app and I made it uh, like half a mile. And I was like exhausted and winded and like, okay, I can't do this. And I came back. And then the next day I made a little bit further. And the next day I made a little further. And now being here a few weeks, I've made like almost four miles on one of my walks the other day. And I would never have done that if I tried to do that in the first day, like it would have been impossible. So I feel like sort of like junior developers should think of that when they start. Okay, I'm learning the basics of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. This is overwhelming. Now people are telling me about DevOps and I got to learn this thing called React. And now I have to worry about accessibility and what about Webpack and how do I host my site? And I have to learn about the internet. Like it's, it's super overwhelming, but maybe if you just take it in and successful little things at a time, maybe one day you learn the basics of eight semantic HTML. And then the next day you, you move on to a little bit more of JavaScript and then CSS. And then you try to do your first React project. So kind of this incremental and getting better every day and then just continue on and realize that you're going to have setbacks and it's going to take it's going to take a while and you're going to get those rejections there's just no way no doubt about it just life yeah that's that's life yep i'm, I'm thinking of the book atomic habits i think what the author introduces is this idea of getting one percent better every day and as a result the effect compounds so the end result is like insane i'm just wondering if that applies to developers i'm not sure if it does I, i've read that book from james clare too and it's um, it's pretty awesome it's a pretty awesome concept i think it's now required reading for every podcast and uh, entrepreneur and and uh, i think it's good good for even uh, people outside those circles because it just just talks about you know creating good habits and how to keep going with it and a lot of useful examples of how to do that. But I think it somewhat applies to developers, especially when you're learning something. Uh, you can kind of take that approach of just getting 1% better every day by learning. Uh, it's it's hard set. It's kind of objectively hard to like measure your progress. Like there's not a test that you can take at the end of every day to realize if you're getting a little bit better. But I think if long as you keep putting the effort in every day and kind of changing topics and trying to go back to those topics, because all these topics to kind of build upon themselves, like when you're starting to learn for junior developer, I mean, 
even as a senior developer, you're still going to be using those basics to build your apps. You're still going to have to figure out how to create HTML elements on your page and, and how to create a form and how to create inputs. Like those things come up over and over and over again. And you're going to have to learn the basics of JavaScript and put everything together. And I think it, it somewhat applies in some things, um, maybe not a perfect one-to-one as much as like learning the guitar or something like that. I'm sure you've been asked this question more than a hundred times, which is along the lines of which should I learn, React or Vue.js? And whilst they are different, there's a lot of underlying concepts in terms of how you might manage data or how you separate logic from the view and things like that. So maybe this is a nice segue into something I've been wanting to ask you, which is not about the specifics of React versus Vue. I feel like that could be a podcast episode in and of itself, but it's about the question because I'm sure people ask it a lot. It is kind of a cause of anxiety. It's like, oh, am I learning the right thing? And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of schools of thought regarding it. Like, for example, if there are 100 jobs and 50 require Vue and 50 require React, you might be tempted as a junior to learn a little bit of both because now you can apply to twice as many jobs, but then someone else could reason, well, actually just learn one, get to know that one in depth, and that will be the best chance you have of finding success. Very, very broad question, but I'd love to know your thoughts. Like what comes to mind when people ask this question? Vue and React are, you know, probably the, if not the two most popular framework slash libraries out there. And people always like to say, well, React's not a framework. Well, yeah, I know, but it's a library. And once you add in everything in, and I like consider it as a framework, but you're still right. There is a big choice a lot of new developers have to make at some point. I come from a background where I learned Vue.js as one of the first frameworks I learned. Well, technically, I learned a few others before that, but one is one of the big ones that I learned at the beginning. And I really like the community. I really thought it was easier for me. And I've heard this from other junior developers that Vue is a very easy framework to pick up. It doesn't have the complexities of the HTML and JavaScript mixed together like you have in JSX. And you don't typically need to know as much JavaScript. Like, for example, we have directives in Vue. So you have something like a V4. You don't have to learn like a JavaScript map to map over things. Uh, so there, there's definitely some advantages there, and it has a, a pretty quick ramp-up time to learn. I think a lot of junior devs can learn it pretty quickly. So overall, I think it's an excellent framework to learn. They do call Vue.js the progressive framework because they've kind of come from the point of view that you can incrementally add it into your existing applications, starting off with the CDN tag, and then move up to using something called the CLI, the command line interface tools to build your whole project up. And you can do something similar in React. You can use the command line. You can use like link tag or script tags to add in your React code. Although with JSX, it's a little bit more complicated and it's not really as recommended. But I still think that view has a uh, little bit of advantage in that way of being more incrementally adopted and has a, a pretty good ramp up time. Now, purely off of numbers, it's clear that React has more NPM downloads. It has a pretty huge community and there's more jobs out there. So that's clear if from everything I've seen out there from all the different surveys, more companies who use React. But I don't think it's a bad idea to learn Vue at all, because I think there's plenty of jobs for Vue out there too. But you may want to consider, if you're a junior developer, to see what jobs are in the the immediate area that you're in. I would say it would be a good idea to do some research of the local area that you're in to figure out what framework, library, what technology you should learn and work on that. And I think if you pick Vue 
in general, you're going to be fine. I'd still say if you find out there's a lot of React jobs, you know, it's no problem with picking React. And there's also really, I think this happens quite often, is as your career progresses, you're going to be finding out that one company, you're going to be working in React, but the next company you might be working in, in Vue or Angular. And it's always good to have like more than one stack, one more than one framework under your belt so you can more easily move from one job to the other and that you can talk intelligently about it. And you can start seeing patterns between these different frameworks too, which is awesome. You can see how you can do components in Vue versus React and so forth. React is a great framework, but I don't, I don't think you should discount Vue and, and learning it and trying to understand it as well. Say someone's learning React and they're listening to this podcast. Are you kind of advocating that they should stick with React or try Vue or do both? Continue on, definitely. I would not say like divert off your React path. <laughs> so yeah, if that's the curriculum you're going through, many boot camps teach React as the first and only framework that they teach. Scrimba teaches that, but I know you guys have content in the other frameworks too. Uh, so no, I think that's perfectly fine. I'm just saying that there is opportunities out there outside the React ecosystem. It feels like React is it's almost like these frameworks. It's almost like a religious war. I don't want to get into religion, but there's there's definitely strong feelings on all these sides about these frameworks. When I was growing up, it used to be like between Linux and Windows. Like, oh my God, Linux is trying to take over Windows, and there was like camps on both sides. And now it feels like as I've grown up, I've seen these parallels between these different frameworks and people religiously going through one or the other, or maybe dogmatic is a better word. I, I think it's definitely perfectly fine to go and learn React and and get out there. There's a lot of jobs out there for React. That's good. In my company, we use tons of React, but we also have Vue and Angular, but we also have Flutter and we have iOS and we also have um, React Native. So we have like all of them. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn a little bit of everything right now. And my last job, we did Angular. So Angular is also really popular, especially the enterprise companies out there. A lot of companies that have Java, they moved to Angular as their front end. So. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. That was Eric Hanchett, front-end engineer at AWS and content creator. You can find all Eric's links in the show notes. Coming up next time on the Scrimba podcast, Cassidy Williams joins me to talk about her advice for junior programmers, and frankly, programmers in general, in 2021, based on her wealth of experience. Make sure you subscribe to the show to see that episode in your feed and support the podcast. This episode was edited by Jan Osenovic, and I'm your host, Alex Booker. You can follow me on Twitter at Booker Codes, where I share highlights from the podcast and other news by Scrimba. See you next week.